That's good. What a faithful God. That's good. All right. Well, well, well. Let's see here. Today we are going to kick off. Go ahead and put that up there on the board there, guys, if you would. I'm going to get that started and just put that first slide up there. And we're talking about the Gentiles. And again, it's our, um, you know, uh, just a Bible truth series. And we're going to begin with the Gentiles. We just got done or finished with dealing with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk about the Gentiles a little bit, and you can't help but talk about the Gentiles. If you're going to start that whole process, you have to start with a guy by the name of Abraham. 
You say, no, he was a, he was, he was a, Gen, he was, he was a Hebrew. No, he was a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile. Everyone were Gentiles. Everybody was Gentiles. And then Abraham, again, he was a Gentile who was chosen by God to be the ancestor of the Jewish people. Up until Abraham, everybody was a Gentile then. Now, the term Gentile is simply from the Latin word for nation. So when we use the term Gentiles and how it's used in Scripture, it simply just means the nations. It's talking about all those then that aren't Jews, if you will. So if a person is a Gentile, they're a member of the many nations of the world. That's what it's basically implying. Now, when we compare, again, the Jew and the Gentile, we're going to note that one is a member of God's chosen nation, a member of, uh, or, or, or in this case, if you're a Gentile, you're a member of one of the many hundreds of nations that uh, are on the earth, or ethnic groups that are on the earth. So again, it's just, if you're a Gentile, then you're not Jewish. Pretty simple, right? That's pretty simple. Now, again, Abraham started out as a member of, the, of, many, of many nations. He was part of all those different ethnic groups that were, I guess, in um, you know, existence at that particular time in history. And uh, if you really want to go back far enough, I mean, I guess everybody came from Adam and Eve, right? And then all people are related somehow, some way, if we go back far enough. It's interesting, you know, you know, there's so much hate in the world and people don't like different folks from different nationalities or maybe races or, or different uh, uh, countries or whatever that. In the long run, we're all really go all the way back to Adam and Eve anyway, back to Noah even, you know. I mean, so there you go. We're actually all related somehow, some way, really distant, of course, but we're related somehow. I guess that just makes it okay then because families like to fight, so that's just good stuff, uh, I don't know, but anyway, as long as it's not a holiday, right? Okay. But nonetheless, turn to Genesis chapter 11, would you? Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. At this point, again, uh, we're, it's before Abraham. We know that it's chapter 12, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but notice what it says in chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, verse 1, and the whole earth, chapter 11, verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Okay, there you go. I mean, at this point, the whole world was one language and one speech. Well, that includes Abraham and his family. They're all part of that too. It wouldn't be till basically Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, move over to that part, it's, that's where God ultimately calls him. Before that, he's part of all those nations, that, that he's part of all those nations, if you will. In this case, in chapter 11, before the uh, Tower of Babel, they were all one even. We know the dispersion of the uh, you know, the, the changing of the tongues or whatever. They all started speaking different languages and, and so forth. And then all of a sudden, there's all these different groups start to pop up. And boy, I'll tell you what, it goes far. It goes way back there. Well, Abraham, he's now part of all that mess. And here we find him in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house into a land that I will shew thee. And he goes on to tell him he's going to make of him a great nation. 
We know that he's going to bless that nation. He's going to bless those that bless that nation and, and all of that. And, and we recognize that. We see that in Scripture. Up to that point, everybody's a Gentile. And now God's calling out a particular man. And he's saying, you're going to leave your country, you're going to leave your kindred, and you're going to go out into another country, and I'm going to make of you a great people, great nation. Abraham is the first Hebrew. He's called apart, set apart by God for a specific purpose. And we see that taking place here in chapter 12. So until Abram, all people were Gentiles then. He's the first Hebrew. Early on in the Bible, when you look at uh, this particular group of people, they're known as Israel. They're known as Judah. But once they return from Babylonian captivity, then they're known as the Jews. So you start talking about the Jews, you're talking about a people after the captivity. Before that, they were Israel. They, 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 you know, we knew them as a people. We knew them as a nation. And then we see them coming back and arriving back, and you see them being called and responded to. And then, of course, that was in 536 B.C., uh, the Jews. Now, the Jews had a very long and a very glorious past. There's no doubt about that. But that all came to an end with this Babylonian captivity. In 606 B.C., we know that Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans went down there, and they went ahead, and Babylon took over, uh, of course, uh, occupied the land as well as removed many of them from the land and took them to Babylon. And so we, we see that. We recognize that. We read about that in Daniel even. And um, so the Babylonian captivity took place. And again, most secular historians don't really talk much about Jewish history, right? It usually either begins with Babylon or it goes way back even to, 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 to um, Egypt but you don't hear much about what took place between Egypt and Babylon. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? And you wonder why. You say, well, why in the world is that the case? Well, again, the, the Jews were a powerhouse. They were, an, uh, I mean, a world leader. They, they had such great power and prestige and preeminence among the nations, but it didn't continue that way. And that didn't take God by surprise either. That was by design, actually. We learn in Scripture that the Gentiles would dominate and rule the world from the very time Israel went into captivity. From the moment they went into captivity, Babylonian captivity, at that point, we're going to see Gentile rule. And Gentile rule is going to continue till Christ himself returns in Revelation chapter 19. Take your Bible, look over at Luke chapter 21, verse 24. And this is where we're going to start really addressing this issue of the Gentiles. We know where the Gentiles come from. They were created. We know that the Jew then was a direct result of Abraham being called out from among the Jews, if you will. I mean, from among the Gentiles. And uh, fulfilling a specific purpose, a God-called purpose. But here we're going to see that God intended that the Gentiles would rule. Look at Luke chapter 21, verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. Talking about his people. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So we have the times of the Gentiles. 
And what the times of the Gentiles we see here, what the time frame is, is from Babylonian captivity, 606 B.C., all the way to the revelation of Christ in Revelation chapter 19. So there's this period of time from the time they went into captivity till the time that Jesus Christ returns and establishes and sets up his kingdom. It's considered the time of the Gentiles. That means, therefore, that the Gentiles are going to rule on earth and they're going to always have rulership on earth during that period of time. The Jew will not be in that position that they found themselves in under the reign of Saul, David, or Solomon especially. Look, if you would, at Jeremiah chapter 27. Again, from this point on now, God permitted world power to pass into the hands of the Gentiles. And he began with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Here in Jeremiah 27, 5, let's look what we're going to read here. It says, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I've given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. I wonder, what, does that sound familiar to you, another passage of Scripture? I mean, God is speaking here. God is expressing now that, that as according to, to him here, he's saying, listen, I, I, um, I made the earth. We, well, that's God, obviously. I mean, that can't be a man talking. Jeremiah 27, 5, he says, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, and my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. That's interesting to me. You know, I think about Romans chapter 13 when I read that. I think about how God elevates or takes down leadership how he puts in place those he chooses to put in place. I have no clue what God's thinking sometimes. I don't understand what he's got going. I don't realize or recognize what he's trying to accomplish sometimes. I don't know why certain men are, or certain women are placed in charge of certain peoples or nations. doesn't make sense to me. And I think to myself, why would you put a, a maniac in charge like that? But you know what? He does. You think about somebody like Hitler. Why in the world would God allow a Hitler to rule and reign? He allowed it, though. He permitted it, didn't he? And we, we as Christians can try to defend that all day long and say, well, God would never. God does do those things. And we have to understand that, and we have to be willing to accept what he does and realize that he has a bigger purpose than what we can possibly see with our human eyes. There's more at stake than just our comfort today or a generation. There is literally a purpose and plan for the ages at stake here. And he says here back then, and I'm sure every Jew was pretty upset with old God potentially at this point. You're going to allow old Nebuchadnezzar to come in here and take care of us. As a matter of fact, if you look at certain scriptures and prophecy, you'll find that there were people saying, there's no way that's going to happen because we're righteous and they're not. We're God's people, and they're not. And yet, it happened, didn't it? They forgot to read the, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story. Jeremiah 27, then, 
verses 5 through 7. We begin with verse 6. And now have I given all these lands unto the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. My what? That's crazy. Sir, seems that way, doesn't it? And the beast of the field, have I given him also to serve him? And all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it? The times of the Gentiles has begun now. It begins with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And it will continue all the way through history until we arrive at Jesus Christ coming back at the revelation to set up and establish his kingdom. But there's another phrase that could be confused with the times of the Gentiles. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans chapter 11, verse 25. So we have the times of the Gentiles spoken of and defined in Scripture. But wait, I want you to notice now another phrase that's very, could be misunderstood. Look at Romans 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. We would never be that. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. Now remember what's going on in chapter 11. Of Romans. The Apostle Paul is pointing out that God is not finished with Israel yet. And he says in the passage, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Notice it says, The fullness of of the Gentiles. Now this is a little bit different. The fullness of the Gentiles basically began at Pentecost with the empowering of the church and goes right on through till the rapture or till the church is taken out. What is that implying? It's implying then that the moment the church is taken out, God will again deal with Israel. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The times of the Gentiles, however... And the fullness of the Gentiles are two completely different things. Again, the the fullness of the Gentiles began at Pentecost, ends with the rapture. That's seven years before the times of the Gentiles ends. Because the times of the Gentiles goes through the tribulation period. They're still in charge till Jesus Christ literally returns. And so when the last soul has been saved, When the body of Christ is complete, the fullness of the Gentiles will come to an end. So again, the times of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Gentiles are two different things. And we just need to make sure that we're aware of that. So, let's go ahead and move on now. In the book of Daniel... We're given a picture of the times of the Gentiles. And in that picture, there's a number of details that are shared with us. 
We do not have the time, nor will we go through all the minor details, but we're going to do a brief, a kind of an overview to some degree of this, as we're going to call it, the Colossus man or Colossal man. And so, the times of the Gentiles is pictured again in this image that Nebuchadnezzar dreams about. Now, I want you to take your Bible, turn over to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. What number is that slide up there? Do you know? Yeah, see, for some reason I got ahead. I don't know what happened to me here. Let me go back one. Huh? Two, three, four, five. Okay, well, you got a little sneak preview. All right, so Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams. Wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to shew the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will shew the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if ye shew the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. His magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers, oh, they reasoned with the king as best they could. They tried to point out, hey, king, listen, this is a very unusual request. I mean, everybody knows that the king's supposed to share the dream, and then we only have to come up with an interpretation. You want us to come up with the dream and the interpretation. Come on, king. They said in verse 10, there is not a man upon the earth that can shew the king's matter. Therefore, there's no king, Lord, nor ruler that asketh such a thing at any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's impossible, king. It's un unrealistic to expect us to do this. No king expects that. Well, the king gets pretty upset. He's really angry. He becomes furious even. He commands to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The Bible says for this cause the king was angry in verse 12 and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And boy, I tell you what, Daniel hears about this decree. And so Daniel approaches the king. In verse 16, the Bible says, Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, that he would shew the king, and that he would shew the king the interpretation. He said, if you just give me a little time, king, I'll, I'll tell you what the interpretation is. So he leaves the king. Daniel goes home, and he calls his three friends. 
Now, many of us know them by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's actually their Babylonian names. There's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so he gathers his three buddies together, and he says, hey, fellas, listen, we got some work to do. We got to get to praying, because I'm telling you, our lives weigh in the balance. In verses 18 through 20 of Daniel chapter 2, that they would desire mercies. Why did he call his friends? That they would desire mercies of God, of the God of heaven, concerning this secret. That Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I like this. That, that, they, would, that, that they would desire mercies of God, of, uh, of the God of heaven, concerning the secret. Oh God, have mercy on us. Reveal to us the dream and the interpretation thereof. Have mercy on us, God. Our lives are in your hands. Give us the interpretation of the dream. Then, verse 19, was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Has God ever answered a prayer for you and you found yourself so excited because of the wisdom and might of the Lord God? Daniel was. He was fired up. Verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. Now, Daniel is going to share this interpretation. I want you to look at verse 31 now. Chapter 2, verse 31. Notice what it says. It says here in verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. And this image's head was of the... excuse me, of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron and his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chafe of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Wow, that's, that's amazing. The image, of course, we see here is exactly what you see before you today. You don't really believe that, do you? But anyway... This is the best I can do, okay? Took me a while to draw that. <laughs> okay, but I didn't draw it. Okay, so anyway, we're going to see that in this particular case, as we read through this passage, notice he goes on now. This is really good, verse 36. He's going to actually begin to outline and lay it all out. Watch what he tells the king in verse 36 now. This is the dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. I, I like that, we. I wonder who the we is. You ever wonder about that? 
I don't know. I just wonder. Because Daniel's the one that saw the vision at night, and yet he says, we. Did he bring his boys with him? Did he bring the guys with him? Come on, fellas, we're going to go see the king because we have the interpretation. I don't know. I think he might have brought them along too. Why not, right? If the king's going to pour honor upon Daniel, he might as well pour honor upon about three other Jews as well, right? He wanted to share in the wealth a little bit. Wanted everybody to get in on it. We're so selfish sometimes with praise, aren't we? I mean, we want it all to ourselves at work or whether it's in the church house or whatever it might be. Maybe it's even in the home. We want someone to pat us on the back. We don't want to share the glory with anybody. Daniel says, come on, fellas, let's share it. We, he says here in the passage. I love this. He says, we. We will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. The head of gold, then, is who? It's Babylon and the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Pretty simple there. He goes on to say, After that, excuse me, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these things shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. That's an interesting statement. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Verse 44, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to another people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all the kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure." So the, this image represents, according to the Bible, four worldwide empires which were going to arise. Arise in succession, one after the other. Four great empires. Four. And again, they're going to succeed one another. They're going to be the major governments of the world, the nation of the world. And in this case, from Nebuchadnezzar all the way to the second coming of Christ, we're going to see Babylon. And in just a moment, we'll note uh, Medo-Persia, Grecians, and the Romans. These four great nations, these four great powers, empires, will rule the world. Not only are we told that there are four kingdoms, 
But we're also told the names of those kingdoms and the order of their succession. We see that as well. Let me give them to you very quickly because we're almost out of time. Number one, the first kingdom is Babylon. We already touched on that. That's indicated, remember, by Daniel while he's interpreting the vision to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, he says, thou art this head of gold. So we know that the first one is the head of gold. It is Babylon. Babylon would rule from 606 to 536. The second one is going to be Medo-Persian. He points this out when he's dealing with Belshazzar's feast. He's given an account of the the feast there. And, And he says these words during the feast. In that night was Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom. So we, we go from the Babylonian kingdom to the Midian, to the to, to Medo-Persian kingdom. He then goes on, the third one is Grecian. And in Daniel chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, the Bible goes on to say, The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Grecia. So again, it's not always this only image that tells us, but it's the prophecies of Daniel in the book of Daniel. As you read through all of them, you're going to find that he not only has an image or a vision of this particular, uh, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, colossal man, but also he's going to see a, a goat and a he-goat and, uh, uh, and all those different things. You're going to see all kinds of things, king of the south and king of the north, and there's different uh, prophecies that are taking place in the book of Daniel that outlines and lays out for us who these Gentile kings are, who these Gentile powers will be. And again, there are four great powers, four great kingdoms. Babylon, Medo-Persian, Grecian, and finally Roman. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, he says, the people of the prince that should destroy the city, that's Jerusalem, and the sanctuary. He's speaking about someone that's going to do just that. And that did indeed happen under Titus. In 70 AD, when he destroyed Jerusalem. We see that he's outlining for us, he's laying out for us the times of the Gentiles. He's even telling us what great, what nations and and what kingdoms will rule during that time. Now, one of the things that's a little bit different, we're going to close this out for right now, but we, we understand, you think, well, okay, so if these are the only four kingdoms that are going to rule, then who's been ruling the last how many years? I mean, Rome's not been in charge for the last years. Yeah, it's kind of taking a siesta here. There's no doubt. It's just like the church was kind of in, interjected, just kind of like the church was dropped in there. It's like everything was put on hold. And so, again, remember that the fullness of the Gentiles has to come in. Remember? The fullness starts, starts over there at Pentecost with the church being empowered and goes all the way till they're literally raptured out. Guess what? As soon as the church is raptured out, God again begins to deal with Israel. And when he does, the times of the Gentiles kicks off. I'm telling you, there's going to be a revived Roman Empire that's going to rule and reign. We see possibly part of that starting to come to fruition in our world to this day. We're watching Europe in all of its mess. Why is it going through such a mess? What's taking place? I don't know for sure if it's toward the end times or not. It could be hundreds of years away yet before the rapture of the church. I don't know, but I can tell you this. It sure seems a lot closer to me. It seems like God's putting some things together. We saw Babylon 
We see Medo-Persian. We've seen the Grecians rule. Man, if you go to the Louvre to this day, you can go see evidence of all of these great nations and their leaders and, and their, their, their military might and their rule in the world and their conquests and everything else. You can see it. It's preserved for us in these museums. And then there's Rome. We're going to see in maybe a future here as we go through this again, starting again next week, but we're going to see that Rome starts off pretty strong. But they too will also eventually end pretty weak. I'll tell you what, God has a purpose. He has a plan. The times of the Gentiles are all part of that. If you are part of Israel or the nation of Israel, well, you're, you're wishing that it was you back on top, but, well, because of certain things that transpired, and we don't have time to go into all of that, God put the Gentile center stage. Well, we'll look at this a little bit more as we move forward in our study on the Gentiles, but, boy, it's really kind of neat to see all of this taking place. We'll get to that part here in a little bit, maybe, because there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to crush, <laughs> he's going to take down the Gentile ruler, the, the nations, and he himself is going to establish a millennial reign, a kingdom in which he'll reign and rule. It's coming. The day's coming. It'll be a wonderful day. But what about you today? Are you letting him rule and reign in your life even? Where you're at today as a believer? I mean, let's face it, it's easy to lose sight of the Lord in the midst of the confusion of our generation and our day. Let's make sure that we're, we're allowing him to rule in our lives. Oh, the, the world may not be, and uh, Gentile rulership isn't following the word of God, nor do they have any concerns for God. Matter of fact, they mock God. But we don't have to. Man, we have Christ living in us. Let's put Christ where he belongs in our life, and let's let him rule and reign on the throne of our lives. He's not ruling and reigning on the throne of the world right now. He might still be, have veto power and he permits a lot of things to go on that he's not really approving of, to be frank with you. He doesn't approve of it in the sense that he's not liking it, but he allows it for reasons and purposes that sometimes we can't understand. But I'll guarantee you, he'll right all the wrongs. But in our own lives today, we can allow him to rule and reign on the throne of our lives. Let's let him do that tonight. And if you've taken a step back or you've neglected the Lord in some way, some shape or form, man, just come to an altar or right at your seat and say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. I have failed you. And I have allowed my life to, to kind of swerve or turn from you. I've depended on myself or others. I've lost sight of you 100%. And listen, how much does it take to be off course? You're going you're gonna to travel across the ocean to the United States of America how, how many degrees could you be off starting off before you never hit North America? You say, ah, you couldn't do that. Man, I'm telling you, it wouldn't take as much as you think. Amen. I'm telling you, it's important that we get perfectly on track. And if we're not right on target and we can point to something in our life or God reveals something to us, then we need to address that. Let's address it tonight. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you just work in our lives. Thank you, Father, for these that are here tonight and Lord, we just looked at some real simple, basic stuff. Help us, Lord, to understand uh, this issue of the times of the Gentiles. 
But Lord, we can allow you to rule and reign in our lives. There's no doubt that, so to speak, that the nations are ruling the world, that, that, that the Jews certainly not in charge at this point. And, and Lord, the fact is, is that you're not on the throne yet at this point, although we thank you that you're ruling and reigning in our own lives and on the throne of our lives. But Father, you can do that. And if we just yield to you, we submit to you, we, we allow you to have rulership in our life. Now, Father, be with your people. I think about just what's coming here in the next few days. Lord, the need, Father, just to exalt and magnify the Lord Jesus. Help us to do a good job of lifting you up before the world that's in such dire need of light. Father, bless our program. Bless just our evening tonight and the word of God. We do love you. We desperately need you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. The music.